Greetings and salutations. Hi. I'm Josh Belcher. Get the super sauce. I'll change into my super suit. <laughs> this is Uncharted. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all shapes, sorts, sizes, and ages. I'm Josh Belcher, host of the Uncharted Podcast. This week, the show is so enormous, I couldn't believe I could fit it all into one episode of an hour plus. We have the legendary banjo picker, John McCune, of the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. If that wasn't enough, we've got rising star taking Nashville by storm, Mr. Cam Pierce on the podcast this week. It's been a rough week for me. I lost my grandmother on Monday. She lived to be 81 years old. Uh, she had com- complications with coronavirus and a couple of other uh, things. I don't know all of what it was going on, but she had a myriad of conditions. Um, and we just buried her uh, today. Well, today is Saturday, the day before this Sunday podcast comes out. I got to eulogize her and um, uh, say a prayer for her. This very special lady that meant the world to me. Uh, She's uh, in heaven looking down on us and smiling. So dedicate this week's podcast to Betty Lou Belcher, my grandmother, who I had the privilege of enjoying for 38 years of my life. May she rest and have peace in heaven. And we'll get on right now with the Uncharted podcast. First on deck, Mr. John McHugh of the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. Here we go. This week's episode of the Uncharted Podcast, we have the living, breathing, banjo-picking legend, John McCune of the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. Talking about his illustrious career, it was an honor to get to speak with him. He told me a lot of amazing, interesting stuff, and that's right now on the Uncharted Podcast. Away we go. So excited for you. So excited for me. It's a great time. Here we go. John, I was just listening to one of my favorite songs of all time. Would you like to know what it is? Is it bluegrassy? Uh, it, it it is a little bit. It's a little bit. Well, then it's not one of. Uh, okay. Uh, is it before 1990? It is. It is before 1990. Is it before 1980? Uh, I don't know the exact date. It might be as old as I am. I'm 38. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, what was it? The American Dream. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know who wrote that? Uh, uh, Rodney Crow, right? Right. Yeah. Bing, Rodney. we have a winner. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I, I adore that song, and, and I can never turn it down. And, you know, luckily it comes up on my Spotify, and I just can't help but sing it. Are you recording? Yes, sir. We're recording. We're just chatting it up. Yes, sir. Go well, good because I, I can tell you that Rodney sent me that uh, a tape, a cassette with Roseanne singing harmony and him playing guitar and singing the lead. And I ran it over to Jeff and said, "This is a song that's perfect for you." And 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 it went to the top ten. <laughs> I, I've never I've never listened to it and not put me in a good mood. Oh, that's good. Thank you for uh, you, you know the one of the other songs that Dirt Band did that was a Rodney Crowell song? Tell me. I'd love to be educated. Well, 1982 or something, I think it was, uh, our first number one record was Long Hard Road, which he wrote. Same kind of thing. He sent me a tape, and <laughs> yeah, that was a nice thing. Rest and uh, <laughs> when I played it in the studio, I was playing acoustic guitar in D-tuning, open D-tuning. Although um, I usually play banjo, mandolin, fiddle, and stuff, but I was playing guitar on this one. And when Jimmy Ibbotson started singing, that sounded like a hit record. Just the, the first verse with the guitar and the voice, and it's like, oh my gosh, this is going to be really good, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's excellent. Um, your career is, is one to marvel. Um, I've being from Tennessee uh, and having uh, roots both in country and bluegrass and loving rock and roll, um, the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band has always appealed to all that. So I'm just uh, really grateful to talk to you and pick your brain a little bit today. Well, good. 
<laughs> what um? There's not uh, much to pit now, so be careful. They got to <laughs> see if it unearths something. <laughs> well, uh, my first thing is on my mind was how are you handling uh, quarantine? What are you doing? Uh, you know, musicians such as yourself not really uh, out and about playing too often. Quarantine. Yeah, the COVID stuff. I, I I don't know. I've just been in my house. Is there is there something going on? <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, you know, it's just kind of like it was when when the dirt band started back in those old days of the 1960s. You didn't have any places to play hardly. You oh, had yeah? a little a little room in Kansas City that held 150 people. You didn't. They, there weren't the concerts would be Johnny Mathis at the downtown Memorial Auditorium, you know? (laughs) And it was just a different thing. There there weren't concerts. So it's kind of like I've gone back to a route for me. (laughs) But there's things to do. I have a a show on Sirius XM that I do every month, which I have to do tomorrow. It takes me about a day to do the one-hour show that they run seven times that month. Oh wow! And you know, put the music together and talk. And I use only people that I uh, that I either have met or know or recorded with. I don't always know the people are recorded with. Yeah. I you know I uh, that kind of thing. And they I have to be connected to them somehow. It's not just here's a record from somebody. You know. Sure. It's more yeah. like here's a record from somebody that was out playing in the foyer in the entry hall of the. Paul I was playing. So you play for the people that come in and now and follow that with this is Kenny Loggins' first recording. Yeah. You know, and play a demo that I made on Kenny Loggins. But that's one way doing that show. I've been doing a Facebook live show. That takes a day to prepare for. <laughs> uh, I haven't done one in a month. But I did twenty one of them and yep. I'm working on some projects. I have a a uh, children's book of the mountain whippoorwill. I don't know if you know that story. Up in the mountains, it's lonesome all the time. Yeah, I've uh, heard the uh, I've heard the nitty gritty dirt band. Is that you that's uh, reciting the poem right before the picking of the song or whatever? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I have an illustrated book of that uh, coming out. It's, it's kind of a, it's an adult children's book. Uh-huh. It's. Uh, it's with a forward by Steve Martin and a forward by me, uh, prefaced by me. And Steve Martin and I used to do it together, uh, that story. Yeah. But I met Steve, you know, in senior year of high school. And <laughs> both, of us, both of us were trying to figure out what to do with magic. Yeah. Mag- magic tricks, you know. We weren't doing music yet. Yeah. And then music came along and the whippoorwill came along. And... Unfortunately, he got, well, fortunately for me, he got too big and he'd go out, when he started drawing people finally around 27, 27 years old, he'd go out and do, in the middle of his set, up in the mountains, it's lonesome all the time, and people start start laughing, where's this going to go? Up in the mountains, it's lonesome for a child. What for those calls? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You have little snickers of laughter all the yeah. way through it, and he had to quit doing it. <laughs> um, you two met, uh, you know, and shortly thereafter, you both got jobs at Disneyland, right? Yeah, when I was 16 years old, so was he. And uh, in many ways, he's still 16. Man, so am I. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we wanted to work and get a job at the magic shop, and we were both trying, and we both succeeded. It was this, this summer of '63. Uh, it was a great year. Yeah, and really, really neat. <laughs> and we did that for three and a half years. Some of the best years. Sure. Three yeah, years. I remember he he, uh, he wrote finally about it in his book. And then uh, you collaborate with him a lot, don't you? Produce his music as well. No, no, that's my brother who produced. Uh, five Steve Martin movies and managed him and wow. produced his and produced his records. Wow. My brother Bill McEwen, who art in Hawaii, my brother who art in Hawaii, uh, <laughs> he uh, produced his 
his early films and and records and managed his career. Oh, and uh, uh, your brother's also responsible for the Almond Joy, I believe, didn't he? Well, what you're referring to is the Dirt Band was on its first ever uh, record promotion tour, our first album. It's 1967, May or so, or April, and we're on a bus, not like you see the buses nowadays. This was a bus with seats, folks. <laughs> it was a bus. And we were going around the country, and we ended up in St. Louis, had to play there. And somebody said to Bill, you ought to go see this band that's playing down by the river. And he went down there and saw this group. And told them, you ought to move to L.A. I'll get you a record deal. They communicated, and, and they ended up moving to L.A. They moved in with Nitty Gritty Dirt Band for oh, the wow. first first three weeks. We had a we had a four-floor house, and they took one of the floors. That was the Allman Brothers, Greg and Dwayne Allman, and Bruce Hornsby, and the, the whole Allman Brothers band. But they were called the Allman Joy, mm-hmm. A-L-L-M-A-N. Joy, and they changed their name to The Hourglass and made one and a half albums. <laughs> then they broke up and couldn't make it happen. The music business wasn't their thing the way they saw a vision of music. And uh, we were all young. They were young. You know, they, they were experimenting around. The, the group, except for Greg, went back to Florida. Greg stayed behind for seven months in an apartment my brother had rented for him on Coanga Boulevard in Hollywood, in Mikado. And I recorded the first recording of Just Not My Cross to Bear in his living room. Oh, my he, God. He's just written it. It's really slow. And... Uh, <laughs> If you uh, want to hear it, I'll send it to you. Oh, I'd be honored. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, the, where uh, his history starts with me is I'm about two hours shy of Muscle Shoals, and that's where kind of like I I knew where he kind of where he used to camp out in front of Fame Studios and all that. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, I never went to Muscle Shoals, but but Dwayne did a lot. Yeah. That's neat to know. Like, I knew you had a connection with them as far as, like, their beginnings, but, uh, you know, that recording, that's pretty awesome. Well, I helped start the Allman Brothers. And <laughs> the way that happened was is they were living, they had quit the hourglass, and all but Greg went back to Florida. And Dwayne was calling him, and I think he wrote him a letter or two. He's got to come play with the new band. It's really good. And Greg was driving a car around. A ship. What was that car? It was a a really cheap car. But he came up to the house one time and says, a car my brother had provided him, and says, hey, man, you know, the men stopped me at the red light, and they think I stole the car. I have to take a pink slip to the court. Oh, wow. So am I own it. You know where the pink slip might be? My brother wasn't home, but the pink slip was, and I went and got it. And he took the car and two hours later had sold it and bought a plane, t- bought a plane ticket to Jacksonville, and that was the night the Allman Brothers started. No kidding. <laughs> what a story. <laughs> That's, so, that's yeah, I mean, he, uh, he he did a lot of stuff in his very young life. It seems like he, he he accomplished quite a bit while he was on Earth. He did he did what he had to do. Yeah, you know, if he hadn't done that and I hadn't found that pink slip, I don't know if he would have gotten there in time. I'm awful glad I did. Yeah, he saved the day in more ways than one. Um, let's. Uh, another thing that fascinates me is. Uh, you had uh, you and you probably still do have big tie-ins with Bob Dylan. There's, I don't know many people that really have any dealings with him, and you seem to be really close with him. No, that's not true. I've been oh. around him closely, okay. like many people have. Yeah. It was. It's always hard to get close to Bob Dylan, unless you're some kind of 
other type of friends rather than just if I played in his band, that would have been one thing. I played on shows he was on. I went to a show and hung out in the dressing room he did. The closest I am to Bob Dylan is one time I was at Lakeland, Florida, watching him do a sound check with with uh, the Rolling Thunder Review, and Joan Baez was on stage, and he was out there, and the whole crew was out there. They're trying to get Joan Baez's guitar to work, to plug into the box on stage and work with the PA system, and it wasn't working out. They couldn't figure it out, and she had the same direct box that I had, only she didn't know it. And uh, now keep in mind, this is an 8,000 seat room. There's about 10 people in it at this time. It's sound check, you yeah. know, and they're trying to get the guitar to work. And I'm standing up by the front of the stage with my chin on the stage, kind of watching. And I don't know, try it over here. We'll plug it in. I said, Take the cord and plug it into the second hole on the right and plug the PA system cord and the other thing in the back. And they all, I, they, nobody knew me or well, they knew the dirt band. They knew that I was with the, another, we weren't on the show. I just booked that night off so I could go see Bob Dylan <laughs> and, and, you know, got in for the sound check and watch what's going on. I, I knew a couple of people playing on it. Uh, and uh, anyway, Dylan looks over at me, stares at me for about two seconds, and goes, do what he said. <laughs> <laughs> and they did it, and the guitar worked fine. And right. he, looked at me, he looked at me and went, thanks, man. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's quite a story. That's, that's closer than most of us will ever get. <laughs> now, when I was before the Dirt Band, a year before the Dirt Band started, I was 19, and Bob Dylan, a club owner in California, wanted to do a Bob Dylan concert. He didn't have enough money, and he needed $2,000 more, and I I had uh, got my dad to co-sign a note for the bank for $2,000 and gave him the money. Wow. And, and that made me enough money to buy a new five-string banjo, so all right. That's awesome. I got to oh. see the show for free too. I yeah, didn't meet him though. Well, let me ask you this now. Well, let me tell you this. But okay. Remember that question. Okay. But let's Moment. remind people. I have a book called "The Life I Picked." Yeah. That's yeah. The life yeah. I picked on Amazon, and if you check that out, it's got these stories and thousand others, and a lot yeah. of great photos and stuff. So what were you going to ask? Well, no, we can get into that because I was going to bring that up in a second. But, um, yeah, how long did it take you, the life that you have picked, uh, to compile all that? Because that that book has got a lot of tales and a lot of great adventures in it. Um, It took me 10 years to write the book. Wow. I started around 2002 or so. And a few years later, I sent stories to people. Hey, what do you think of this? Hey, what do you think of that? And finally, Steve Martin said, you have a book here. You ought to put it together. And I did. And he said, no, it's got to be a book. This is a bunch of stories. You need an editor. And I followed his advice, and I got a really good editor. And, and it took a year whipping that. I I had to take basically – a hundred words, the editor would turn into 60 words and it would say the same thing, only shorter and not lose any of the personality. There were things in it like, hey, John, I got to uh, page 22 and it says, and my sister died. I didn't know you had a sister. Yeah. Well, yeah, I did. She died. Yeah, well, well, introduce her. Tell something about her earlier before that write something and so i did i wrote a nice paragraph and a half about my sister and uh, then uh, a few pages later she passes away at 23 years old and uh, it made sense it was a very tough day for me but the book also goes on to 
talk about the dirt band and travels and have you read it uh, i uh, i've had an opportunity to have it sent to me and i i skimmed through the first probably three or four pages but i, I plan on reading it with my weekend while i'm off <laughs> i'm very excited well good because uh when i got the final manuscript before it went to print i had to read through it to check it out i couldn't put it down <laughs> yeah. that's awesome uh, it, it's really a it's a good book i'm glad i did it yeah i'm glad you did and, too. i'm looking forward to it I, i've been a big fan for a long time and really glad to talk to you because i had you know i had so many questions about things and so I was gonna there's a whole you, there's a whole sir? chapter on this will the circle be unbroken album Yes, in 1971, Nitty Gritty yes. Dirt Band did that album with Roy Acuff, Doc Watson, Earl Scruggs, Merle Travis, Mother Maybelle Carter, Junior Husky, Jimmy Martin, <laughs> yes. and Vassar Clements. And anyway, and yes. that album now, 50 years later almost, it came out in 72, and in 2022 will be the 50th year. That album is still in the well, in, on Amazon charts, there's three different charts, like uh, the folk music chart, bluegrass. And it's number somewhere between one, two, and three on those charts for the last year. Wow. And that's because Ken Burns did that show, Country Music. Did you see any of that? Yes, sir. I have seen that, and I've seen you quite a bit in it as well. Well, thank you. I'm glad you saw that. I hope you didn't turn <laughs> off the TV. Um, <laughs> But uh, episode six was called Will the Circle Be Unbroken? And uh, I spent about a half an hour describing that. And that was quite a deal for me. That's awesome. And not to mention, it's regarded as the greatest record that ever came out of Nashville. Well, thank you, Rolling Stone, for saying that. Well, it's Uh, true. I agree. Yeah, it really is a fantastic album. And uh, I remastered it in 2002, and uh, for the 30th year. Uh-huh. And anyway, it's okay. I'm looking right now. It's number two in bluegrass, number three in special interest, and number four in classic country. That's today. That's wow. now. Yes. A 50 year old album. Don't they know yes. they're supposed to take those things off the chart every now and then? Yeah, yeah, you guys and Pink Floyd will never get off there. <laughs> yeah, this is this is the dark side of the banjo. Yes, that's perfect. Dark side of the banjo. I love it. <laughs> how did uh, how did you start like, like your passion for the banjo? What where where did your love affair begin? I was piddling around for six months with a guitar, and um, I couldn't. I was okay. I just didn't. I wasn't amazing anybody. Well, nobody played then, you know, so you could amaze people. But six months into it, I went to see a group that I was kind of drugged to, to, and the group was called the Dillards. They played the Darlin family in the Andy Griffith show. Absolutely. Yeah, and Doug Dillard walked up on stage and kicked off Hickory Hollow, and my heart stopped, and I decided that's what I want to do. There you go. You know what my favorite song by them is? No. Green Corn. Green Corn? Did you ever hear him do Green Corn? Uh, no. <laughs> oh, there, there's a record. There's a record they've got out where they perform live and it's got it on it. It's just really funny. Oh. Yeah. I used to Sorry, go see the Dillards three nights a week. My mother thought I should change my last name to Dillards. How awesome! Um, you saw all the original. How many are left now? Just two of them? Just Rodney. Just Rodney. Yeah. They, and uh, he's got a new album out himself, an album called Earth Man. Uh-huh. And, uh, and so it, he's got a really good album. So because of those guys, that we have you. That's awesome. We, we're hats off to them. Yeah, and because of the Dillards, I'm talking to you. <laughs> That's it. And, uh, you know, before I really knew uh, anything about them, they they did have the best episodes on Andy Griffith, you know, when they came to town. And, and oh, all yeah. 
Uncle Jesse would be in there blowing on his jug harp, and they'd all do mm-hmm. it. I call uh-huh. him Jesse from Dukes of Hazard. I know he had a different name on there. Yeah, what? I'm sorry. I said I, I call him Uncle Jesse because of Dukes of Hazard, but I know he had a oh. different name when he was on Mayberry. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, that, that was a, a good thing. Yeah. <clears throat> Who would have known that would have led to us getting in Paint Your Wagon, the Paramount picture, in 1968. <laughs> yeah. My brother, my brother, who was managing the group, saw an ad in Variety, and he went, this is perfect. It was an ad asking for people to audition for the playing the parts of minors in this movie. And in the year setting was 1848. Wow. We went and auditioned, and we got the job. <laughs> so spent awesome. four spent four months up in Oregon with uh, me, Marvin, and Clint Eastwood, both learning how to sing. Uh-huh. And wow. uh, Lee Marvin, is, is in, for those listening who are a bit too young, was an actor of the time that was kind of like Arnold Schwarzenegger or um, other people that play action parts and stuff. And Clint Eastwood was Clint Eastwood, but he's a lot younger. Yeah. And that movie, that movie, when we came back, uh, Jeff broke the band up. He was tired of it, and we quit. Everybody did separate things. Six months later, Jeff and I were watching a group in in California at the club, the Golden Bear, and we said to each other, let's get the band back together and find a singing drummer. We were watching... We were watching Poco, and uh, so we did that to make our fifth album, Uncle Charlie and His Dog Teddy. Huh. And that album had three hit rock, three hit songs on it, along yeah. with bluegrass and traditional, and that led to the Circle Be Unbroken album. Very awesome. And um, one thing I liked about your drummer is that I, I've never seen anybody else who can drum and play harmonica at the same time. That always impressed me. Well, that, that's Jimmy, and he started playing drums around 1980, uh, yeah. 84. Uh-huh. I mean, he, he was playing them before then, but he's been the present, the drummer of presence or the noticeable since around 85 or so. Okay. And... Uh, because Jimmy Ibbotson was the drummer when we had drums, and then a couple others came and went. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, yeah, he's a good heart player, better yeah. heart player, much better heart player than he is a drummer. But that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. I mean, just as long as you can keep the beat down. Um, well, how do you feel about? Uh, I've heard a lot of people uh, give credit to Mr. Bojangles. As the foundation of Americana music, how do you feel about that? As a fact of what? Uh, people give credit to Mr. Bojangles as the foundation of Americana music, like the beginning. I just heard you the first time. I just wanted to hear you say it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was an acoustic record, and the only electric instrument on there was the bass, played by Les Thompson, who plays with me now. Uh, one of the original members, and um, I, I think it really was an Americana record before it was called Americana, and that album, as I said, led to making of Will the Circle Be Unbroken, which was considered nowadays, that's kind of like an Americana record. It's not all bluegrass. No, it's not. Mabel Carter's not bluegrass. Merle Travis isn't bluegrass. Doc Watson is sometimes bluegrass. Earl Scruggs is bluegrass, but not Roy Acuff. He's country music, the way he heard it. Uh-huh. And uh, Jimmy Martin, that's bluegrass. So, so there's these different combinations on the album. And uh, that was kind of the way it it just came together that way. Yeah. Well, that's that's awesome. I mean, I'm glad it, glad it did because that, every time I hear, you know, because we have a lot of Americana, um, you know, here uh, in the Nashville area, and they everybody always accredits you guys for getting it started. Mm-hmm. What uh? Let's well, talk that's about, that's nice of them. 
Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I think, and I, and I, you know, I've heard many versions of that song, so I mean, it's still very, very popular. <laughs> yeah, that's a magic song. It is. It's a very, very good one. What um, what about your time with Sesame Street? I, I don't know many people that have performed on Sesame Street. Well, um, it was a one-day shoot. I went in in the in the morning and recorded "Oh Susanna," and then. Uh, the kids recorded their part because we had to shoot it with playback uh-huh. and lip sync. And here I am singing a music video that's had over a half a million downloads or, or so and also been sold by Sesame Street. It was really fun, you know. Um, yeah. And, and that, that was the only involvement with them. Yeah, it's still, still it's really cool. <laughs> it was a it was a big deal to me. Oh, I bet. It'd be a big deal for anybody. Um, uh, was I gonna? I had a question about um, you were talking about concerts earlier. Uh, did you guys play Woodstock? Well, no. You didn't do Woodstock. I thought we, you guys we were we were working. Um, and had to make money, so we. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we were out there. We were working on paint your wagon at the time, I think. Uh-huh. What is uh What uh, to date of all the concerts you've played? What's your most memorable one? Oh, that's unfair. <laughs> that's because some of there, there's some that are memorable because they were so horrible. Yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, raining or tornado coming or whatever. And some because it was a, just a weird building. Yeah. And it was extremely hot. I mean, Sedalia, Missouri, in the middle of the Ozark uh, Hills and Sedalia. Well, that's not the middle of the Ozarks. <laughs> There's a lot of Ozarkians there, though. Yeah. Uh, 1974, on stage, it was 100, 110 degrees on stage, playing oh, wow. to a hun- playing to 180,000 people. Wow. And on a on a racetrack, when somebody backstage says, "Hey, uh, have you heard the Hell's Angels have taken over security?" Oh my gosh, that was good news because we knew they wouldn't let anybody get take anything. You know, the the, <laughs> the concert was set up; they expected maybe forty or fifty thousand, but tickets just kept selling, kept selling, and they didn't stop. Hundred and eighty three thousand. Um, wow. that was memorable. Yeah. Opening for Jack Benny in nineteen sixty seven. How cool. You know, we did four shows with Jack Benny, the old vaudeville guy is out there playing and we had dinner with him. That was exceptional. That was nineteen sixty seven. Being the first American band to go to Russia to yeah. play twenty eight sold out shows. Every yeah. one of those had a something to remember sure yeah uh, one memory that comes to mind is in riga which was in latvia a soviet which uh you know a soviet union the word soviet means state in russian so it means the state union of those states well latvia lithuania estonia armenia georgia they didn't want to be soviets but they were made to be Soviets. Uh, so they were part of the Soviet Union. We played Leningrad and Moscow too, but playing in Riga, Riga, Latvia, it was uh, a place where the Latvian national anthem had been illegal to play. You could face a jail sentence if you played the national anthem of the old country, Latvia. It's not oh, wow. Latvia now. This is Latvia... The Soviet Union Latvia, you know, and I learned it on the banjo, and we were playing to about 4,000 people. We did six shows there, and it was in an, this one was in an ice rink, and picture 2,000 people on the floor, and another 2,000 people in the little grandstands that went around the floor, you know, little bleachers, right? Yep. And... That's where the Latvians were. The Soviets were on the floor of the good seats. 
I mean, the Russians, the Communist Party members, the people that were higher up in government or something, somebody that knew somebody. But yeah. the regular Latvian person was most likely in the bleachers. And in the middle of the Dirt Band show, I, I did a, did a uh, solo thing. I, I incorporated in the middle of that playing the Latvian national anthem on the banjo. And the crowd in the bleachers went nuts every night. It was really fun because the yeah. ones on the floor didn't. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't take much of that. That's just, I mean, behind the Iron Curtain during the Cold War, and, and, and you've got a book coming out about it that I'm really excited. I, I couldn't imagine what that was like. You, were you guys responsible for them taking the wall down? Fifteen years later, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This was 15 years before the walls was down. Yeah, but weren't you like the first American band to go over there? Yes, uh, we were the first American group, and it was a wonderful thing to play. So uh, we had an average of 2,000 to 4,000, 5,000 people on the shows that we did. And we did a TV show. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Yeah, and we did a TV show. That aired to 125,000, uh, no, 125 million people, and uh, I think it was almost as many as Roots had. <laughs> wow. wow! But it was uh, the the old TV show Roots had a record crowd. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the the whole thing was was an exciting prospect. Yeah. Then we came okay. back and got rid of two guys and started over again. <laughs> and that's when American Dream came along. Yeah, that's a great one. That's my favorite, my personal favorite. Yeah, that was well, uh, after Russia, American Dream came along. And then after that, we went to Nashville to make country records. Yeah. I, we I got a new manager, was... too. Uh, my brother quit managing around 1981, and he said, I've got to spend too much time, more time with Steve. Steve Martin, he was also managing. Mm-hmm. And Steve's career was taking off. And I, and he said, and I don't want to argue with Jeff anymore about what songs he should do or that he should make an album. I'm tired of it. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. But, uh, so, and so he left. And he says, who do you think should manage? And I said, well, Chuck Morris in Denver would be perfect. And Chuck Morris asked me, are you staying with the band, John? I said, yeah, if five things happen. We make country music. We make country music in Nashville. We use a Nashville record producer. And uh, we changed the name back to Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. We were the dirt, we were the dirt band for a couple of years a few oh, years wow. yeah and i can't remember the fifth one but he said yeah i agree i'll make those things happen so i stayed oh and jim ibbotson was back in the dirt band yeah so jim ibbotson had been gone a couple of years we got him back in the band we recorded dance little jane which uh is one of the big stage songs of the dirt band nowadays it was a top, top five hit and uh anyway since those thing, those five things happened. They gave us a career in country music for several albums on Warner Brothers. Yeah, Fishing in the Dark was in there too. That was a great smash. No, nope. Fishing in the Dark came along after I left in the in the nineties. Oh, really? And, and that was an MCA record, I believe. Oh, okay. And uh, I, I left the band. People were saying, "Oh, what's the Dirt Band going to do without you?" I said, don't worry, they're clever. They'll think of something. Give them six months. And about <laughs> about a year later, they put out Fishing in the uh, They recorded Fishing in the Dark. And uh, then when I rejoined the band, uh, here I am playing a, a, a huge song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was, but uh, that was fun. Yeah. What a great what a great life you have picked without a doubt so uh made in brooklyn is that that your current album are you making any other music right now i'm working on a spoken word album that has a bunch of stories with music behind them of various types are you can you play music on your podcast 
I I could try. I've never done it, but I could give it my best. Okay, job. well let's we'll just leave that. Yeah. And there are various stories. One is a letter from the Civil War, written a guy writing to his wife, uh-huh. and I put music behind that. Another one is a guy writing about a battle in Vietnam called uh, Nui Ban Den, and uh, there's other totally different music behind that. And then there's some a, a couple funny stories, uh, a couple of a, a poem, and then. Anyway, it's a spoken word album with different types of music. So basically, it's a rap album. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to win a Grammy for a rap album of the year. I'm going to submit it. When it get kick, gets kicked out, I'm going to say White Lives Matter or something. <laughs> yeah, uh, that definitely gets you some attention. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, it's actually spoken word is a viable category that... Uh, that is good to be in because sure. I'm not going to win a Grammy as a singer. <laughs> That's okay. I, I've never been a singer myself. I always sit behind the drum set, but you know, you got to have something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's, um, that's awesome. So they got the three books, the spoken word album. You're a very, very busy man. And, uh, hopefully when the world opens back up, you'll get back to touring. Uh, I'd like to see you maybe come to the Franklin Theater in Franklin and, and see you perform there. Where are you living? I live in Columbia, Tennessee. Have you ever been? Oh, yeah. I played there at the college. It was a great night. Yeah, Columbia State. Yeah. Yeah. And, We've uh, got a yeah, Mule Day. <laughs> no, I did a concert in the theater there. At the Cherry and, Theater. It's a nice little theater. Yeah, it sold out in three weeks. I was really proud of that. Yeah. That was a, a solo show with my with my string wizards guys. Uh-huh. That's and, awesome. uh huh. So, yeah, that's a nice area. Yes, yeah, I, I really enjoy it. Like I said, they're known for their Mule Day weekend, and James K. Polk lived here for a little while. Hmm. I played the Franklin Theater before. I might do it again. Yeah, I just uh, I haven't got to go see a concert there yet, and, and, I, and I'm looking for a reason to hopefully one day. Well, it's a really nice room. Yep, no doubt. Well, Mr. McEwen, it's been an honor speaking with you, and uh, I'll let you get back to it. And uh, when I get this uh, posted, I'll send it to you, and you can listen and share it if you'd like. Well, check out the Made in Brooklyn album, anybody listening. Yep. It's got some of the the best music I've recorded on it. Award-winning. It also sounds – do you have a copy? I do. I, I have a I have a download of it. It's fantastic. But like I said, it, it did win the award, Americana Award, didn't it? Yeah, that was very strange. It was a big surprise. <laughs> uh, it wasn't the uh, independent record manufacturers uh, declared it to be the Americana album of the year, and uh, some of the other artists on it are like David Bromberg, John Carter Cash. Yep. Uh, Steve Martin plays on a cut. Uh, a Warren Zevon song. Uh, cool. a, a, a lady named uh, Martha Redbone sings a couple. John Cowan is excellent on the song I asked him to sing. And yes. he sang harmony on another song. And Matt Cartsonis. Matt Cartsonis is an unknown great singer. Wonderful guy has worked with me for 25 years. Wow! And and uh, Jay Unger is a fiddle player. David Amram is on it, and everybody everybody came up to the mark. That's awesome. And it was all recorded around one microphone. No kidding. Positioned where it would do the the best job, and one microphone. And it's my favorite drum sound I've ever heard on a record. And a very special guy is on it, Andy Gessling. You know who that is? I don't. I'd like to learn them. Have you have you heard of a band called Railroad Earth? I have. Yeah, I believe I have heard them. Well, it's a jam band. They sell out places like Red Rocks and in Denver. They they they're a, a big jam band. Well, Andy Gessling. 
this is one of the last records he made. He's only 52 or so, and he died uh, two years after, or a year after this album came out. Okay. And he, he's an incredible musician. He, he was. He lives on this record. Plays uh, sax, clarinet, zither, uh, auto harp, uh, dobro, mandolin. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, a lot. Yeah, a, a weird uh, array of instruments. Mm-hmm. And Andy was just was just wonderful. David Amram is on there. Wow. And uh, anyway, yeah. So. I hope you check it out. That one microphone recording made the best sounding record I've ever played on. Wow, that's on saying Ch- a lot. That is it's saying on, a lot. It's, it's on Chesky Records, C-H-E-S-K-Y Records. And I really encourage people to at least go read the reviews and then buy one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you like what somebody does, it's not going to cost you that much to have an investment in some part of their life. Yeah, well, this album, happen. this album has become part of my life. I listen to some of it every week. I listen to actually. There's two cuts I play almost every night. Uh, they put me to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, that could but, be a good thing. Oh yeah, it is a good thing. Cam Pierce is a name that you may not know just yet, but you're going to. He is taking Music City in Middle Tennessee by storm. He is an excellent singer-songwriter by way of Oregon. Made his way to Nashville with a guitar and a dream, and he is serving his purpose well because he is growing his underground cult following. Um, He just got done touring Texas, and if you get a chance, you need to check him out wherever his social media is at. He left me a link that will be at the top of this podcast uh, to where you can help donate to some of his uh, fellow statesmen and stateswomen in Oregon who have lost everything due to these horrific fires. That's Cam Pierce. Check him out, Cam Pierce Music. We're getting ready to interview him right now on the Uncharted Podcast. Cam Pierce, a name that really needs no introduction. Uh, star on the rise here in Nashville, a prolific songwriter. Uh, got a very uh, lyrical soul. Uh, how you doing, my friend? Uh, how how was Texas? What, are you still in Texas? What you got going on there? Oh man, I'm doing good, Josh. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, we're still down in Texas. Uh, played uh, a couple shows in in uh, Midland the last couple nights, and we're just heading out of there, headed back uh, somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> Right Somewhere else in Texas. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Uh, are uh, are you going to Austin? I figured that uh, that'd be a definite place for you. I think they take you real well there. Yeah. So um, we uh we cut by Austin on our way. You know, we were kind of on a deadline to get out here, but um, we did. We went and uh, stayed one night out in Hill Country, which is a, a place I've heard so much about my whole life and everything, and. And it was beautiful, and the people were beautiful, and, and uh, it was just a great experience. So, yeah, we'll be back in Austin um, Friday. Um, we're going to have an off day, and then I, uh, uh, I think we're playing Saturday night. Um, or No, no, we won't be back there. I don't know, man. There's the, That's Corey's <laughs> we got to talk to you about that. That's too much, Matt. I hear you. But, but either way, you're uh, – uh, We'll make it through there, though. Yeah, we'll yeah. make it through there. Yeah, Texas is getting accustomed to you, which is a great thing because I know you've taken off like wildfire here in, in Nashville and everything. And from from a fan's perspective, getting you to see you sing and perform, um, I think you've got the magic and what it takes, and you're taking everybody by storm and uh, just uh, great stuff. Uh, I love all your music, and um, I wanted to bring this up while we're talking about that. Yeah, um, thank heard, you, man. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I heard the story that um, you know. Uh, your writing was so strong, and I always want to ask you about this, while you were in school, that uh, you got a, accused of plagiarism, which is I, which is kind of a compliment more than an insult. <laughs> but is that a true story? Where did you hear that, man? <laughs> I, I can't tell my sources, but I, I thought it was a great story. That's why I figured I'd ask you. No, yeah, absolutely. No, it was true. Yeah, my, uh, uh, my uh, senior year, I, I decided to uh, – it was just a, a real changing period in my life for a lot of things, and I decided to take uh, take night school so that I could, you know, work in the daytime and whatnot, and 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 still graduate. And 
Yeah, so I did my uh I did that paper on the Beatles. Uh-huh. And uh you know, I use British words and, and 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 stuff that they say, you know, man, and I guess I was just a little too uh a little a little too convincing uh for for my teacher. So yeah, yeah, she said I was plagiarizing and all that and I brought her my bibliography and you know, my sources and proved her damn wrong. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you, man. <laughs> anyway, like I said, um, when I heard that story, it was impressive because I could believe it. But like I said, it would be more of a compliment than an insult to be so good at such a young age that a teacher would accuse you of plagiarism. But, uh, you know, I always thought that was a great tale. Uh, it'll look oh, good thanks, on man. a yeah, that's it, funny. Yeah, it, it, it will look good on a bio one day or something uh, when, when your uh, <laughs> music hits the top billboard, the top five. So. Well, I'll put hope in. I'll put hope in your words, man. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll believe in that. Yeah. Well, you're getting there. What, um, now I know a lot about it, but for someone that that hadn't quite discovered you yet, uh, describe your songwriting style in your own words. Like I know how I perceive it, but, but from you, the artist, uh, how would you describe your writing style and your in your performance style? Um, very, very in the moment. Um, I think you know. Uh, I don't have a, I don't do a lot of co-writing and stuff, you know, hardly ever. And, and usually it's just every song, just, you know, maybe I'm smoking a cigarette or sipping a cup of coffee out on the porch and it hits me or driving in a car, you know, so it's always very spontaneous and just life. I mean, I, you know, I just, I've always loved writing, you know, and, and, uh, uh, I consider myself a singer or writer more than a guitar player, obviously, but, you know, um, yeah, just in the moment, man. Just just uh, 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 paying attention to, to things around you right now. There's always a song right around you, two feet away. Yeah, but guys like you uh, make it so effortless. Uh, it just seems like, you know, uh, you, some people just have the gift, man. You, you've you got it. Uh, I, I do not, but uh, it always amazes me someone that can just sit down and write something that you can you can feel, even if you haven't experienced it, you can feel what's going on from the presentation and, and I think you've got that. I, I think you're right up there with like your um Levon Helms and your Robbie Robertsons and your Bob Dylan's. I think uh you're gonna oh, geez, get Louise, man. Yeah. You're gonna make I, me blush. Well that's that's what I feel when I hear you. I, I it's it's modern but it's 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 got all that wrapped around in it that people still crave that they're not getting enough of it in mainstream and I really uh, I think you can hold your own with them and uh like I said, just gotta get you tied into the right spot and i think uh that's all she wrote no pun intended yeah <laughs> oh, dude no thank you josh you know i mean i think i think the one thing that that uh that also right quick on that writing note there you know um it is a lot of it's kind of kind of like where you put yourself to that's your moment that you're in right so so you know wherever you're putting yourself is going to kind of be the 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 source of 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 what you write so you know, I I I know we have a, a mutual friend, uh, uh, Mr. Sam Madewell. Yeah. And you know, putting putting yourself around people like that that are that are also uh, it's like hooking a battery to another battery to another battery to another battery. You know, it's like um, <laughs> you charge each other. You know, and my buddy yeah. Corey Michael, who I'm down here in, in Texas with, you know, we've I mean we've played you know probably over a hundred a hundred different uh, shows together. You know, over the, the last couple of years. So just putting yourself around people that that uh, uh, you know just provide that inspiration. You know, I mean that's that's important. It's really important. Yeah, uh, positivity and, and and that kind of impact. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. If you if you surround yourself with like-minded spirits, uh, there's nowhere to go but up. So that's always good. Right, right. And that's good that you have a knack for that to find people that uh, you know that will elevate you and not uh, you know levitate you <laughs> or, or yeah yeah like exactly yes i like that i never heard well, that before that's good yeah. uh well that, that's what happens when you have adult adhd <laughs> <laughs> what uh let's talk about and i know you're uh now uh if i'm not mistaken your your original home is oregon is that correct yeah yeah southern oregon yeah um, i just want to know how how are your people as far as where you're from with all this uh mayhem with the fires and whatnot happening have you checked on people or, or what's their situation yeah man it's it's uh it's terrible i mean it's terrible i just so my hometown i'm from jacksonville which is about six miles outside of medford which is one of the hardest hit towns oh wow uh, in that area i mean it i think that i believe that that's that one's what they're calling the alameda fire i'm not sure 
But, yeah, it ripped through, and uh, I do have friends that I know personally whose homes are gone and everything they, they, they have and, and love is gone. And, and uh, it's – I just don't – you know, I don't really know what to say. It's yeah. terrible. All the all the all the beautiful land, you know, it's it's a hard thing because these these fires have been mostly in in the in the the the, um, the areas where people are, you know, which is mm-hmm. which is awful. But you know, um, a lot of the trees and the forests, I think, have have sort of been spared in this one, which is not the way it usually goes. We usually have wildfires, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so no, it's terrible. If y'all anybody out there finds like a trustworthy GoFundMe or something um, that they can support, man, these 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 people do need it. It's a it's a very bad thing. It's no joke, you know. And I just, you know, I always fear when when the rescue money comes in, it, it might not all go to the right places. So you know, if if yeah. anybody out there you know has a way of helping some individuals and stuff, I would encourage it because just um, I just don't have words, man. Almost makes me want to cry. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's no, man. It's we've been. Uh, yeah. Me. I, so my mom. Uh, uh, she moved out a couple of years with me to to Nashville. There, and she lives out there too. So we've been trying to keep up. But there was something like uh, almost almost twenty five hundred homes only gone uh, from this one fire. And there's sixteen fires out there right now with over a million acres burned. Uh, not even. They're not even saying anything about containment uh with hardly any of them so yeah it, it's bad man thank you for asking you know uh, thank well you. yeah my, my main thing was what uh, with that is just you know uh, a concern obviously and then uh information on like gofundme is like you said and and that's the best way to go is to find you know a trustworthy one to to help as best you can i've been out there on the lookout for some uh not that i'm you know denouncing like the red cross or anything but i no, don't give it to an organization that i know the funds will get to a, to a soul that needs it well, hey, I tell you what, man. I tell you what I'll do is, because uh, I got a couple friends with them right now for like legit personal houses. You know, I mean that their their lives are just gone. You know, yeah, very personal. Um, so you know, if you'd like, I I'll, I'll get you some of those links, and uh, I, I mean, I'll I'll obviously do whatever I can. You know, I'm not even in my second hometown right now. I'm down here, so it's like kind of hard. You know, kind of hard. To, well, that's all that's going on. Yeah, but, um, that's what I'll do. I'll get you some links, man. That's cool. Yeah, if you do, and then and then when I post this on Sunday, I'll I'll attach them as well to bring people aware. Um, Perfect, man. Perfect. That, yeah, that was that was the next lead into the question. You're talking about your second home. Uh, you know what what made you decide to take the leap from Oregon to Music City? Because it's not like it's a neighboring state. I mean, that's a full on adventure to move here. What what was the inspiration for that? Obviously, I know the songwriting, but what made you be brave enough to say, "All right, this is I'm going for it. I'm it's time to do it." <laughs> <laughs> uh, brave enough, stupid enough, depending on the day, uh, when I wake <laughs> up, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I, I, I came through many, many years ago, I think it was about 2007, uh, with, a with, a uh, a, a band, I was just a higher on guitar player for my, my friend's band and, and, uh, come through Franklin and Nashville and out to Knoxville and Oak Ridge. And I just sort of something about it hit me and felt right you know i knew it was natural but i didn't really do country music at the time you know and stuff yeah. so it was just like well that's the country place right well fast forward you know a decade and and uh um i found myself back to you know the the, the roots music and stuff and, and uh man it just all hit the opportunity there's reasons i i couldn't leave port or or um southern oregon you know when uh-huh. i could but then i could and and I did, you know, yeah. and it's just, it was a now or never, put your money where your mouth is, you know, risk it all thing. And, I, you know, I, I'm, to this day, I'm comfortable, you know, the Lord's been good to me over there um, with music and otherwise. So, yeah, uh, yeah, man. Well, I, I think it's great because, you know, there's more, there's more often than not people that have a dream that, that, uh, they, that, you know, they don't, they don't go for it. And, uh, in your case, I think the dividend is will pay in the long run. But, uh, you know, it, it was glad you did because, you know, the people here, they're going to discover your music, you know, Roots Americana and everything. And and plus, uh, you brought up an interesting point that, like, you know, your your musical palette or your taste change. I think that happens, you know, with seasons and in age because, I mean, I've heard several Absolutely. Or, or several musicians, you know, they, 
they just go a different route and, and you know sometimes it works in their favor sometimes it don't but you know your tastes change i mean one day i could be wanting to listen to metallica and the next minute you know i'm wanting some james taylor you just never know yeah, what, yeah, man. yeah it's whatever your uh whatever your uh mood hits you i guess you could say well see that's the, you know that that that's great i love hearing that because that's i mean that's the kind of people that you know uh if there's a kind of people that i write for you know it's those people in, in the sense that it's no one at all it's everyone you know i mean it, it's like i got some you know some songs you know that are a little more rocky or a little bit more folky or a little bit more southwestern or whatever you know it's just yeah. you know and so i like i enjoy that yeah where i come from is huge in the reggae scene you know um big in the the early like uk bass electronic music and stuff so i, I was around everything man and, and country's huge you know i mean all the stuff folk music uh, uh so i was very fortunate to um get my hands in a little bit of top shelf everything every kind of music uh, because I think this, uh, you know, this new decade and, and everything and in and, and the past couple of years, I think country music is more not just, you know, one genre of music, but it's music for the whole country. I think we've got such a melting pot now that it just appeals to everybody. And like you said, that's what makes your music great, because uh, you, you've got a song in that arsenal for everybody to enjoy and for everybody to feel welcome. And that, that's a great thing uh, in music in general. So good job for that. Yeah, yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, um, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> let's uh, let's discuss. I know, I know you've got a uh, quite a catalog built already, but is there any new music on the horizon or, or anything we can promote that you can discuss right now? Just out of curiosity. Um, shoot, man. Um, you know, there's the the acoustic album on Spotify, um, yeah, and iTunes and all that. Uh, and yet we have some some more recordings uh, that are that are almost done um you know it's just uh i'm one of those i take you know i have fun but i take yes. what i do very seriously and so uh, there's a right move and, and 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 there's a bunch of wrong moves all the time so and a lot of times something seems like oh i gotta do this but then if you just wait you know if you got a feeling that something might be happening that could make that opportunity even a better one you know, and that's kind of the person I am. So we're kind of just holding steady right now. Um, there's definitely some talk around uh, um, some some individual uh, things are happening. But, um, you know, right now, I think being here in Texas is probably the best place, you know, that I can that, that I could be, you know, just and on the live thing. Of course, I miss Sam and I miss Andrew and, and, and the boys yeah. back home. But, um Spreading the gospel, so to speak, I think. But yeah, there, there's there'll be new music coming. I've written a ton of new music over the, yes, you know, yes. since the beginning of the year, so I can't wait to record some of that stuff. Well, yeah. Plus, I, I bet you're glad to be out, you know, touring and being on the road performing because you know this whole COVID thing has had everybody pretty much sitting on their thumbs forever. So it's got to be a thrill, just you know, being being in front of a lot of a lot of audience, just not in front of you know just the same crowd, but like you know a different right. you know, area and whatever. So that's got to be refreshing. Yeah, it is, man. It really is. I mean, I'm I'm fortunate enough to, you know, at, at least playing. Maybe not, maybe not the money stuff, but uh, um, I've got to play, you know, quite a bit. Me and me and my mom, we've been doing uh, get-togethers up at our house, fireside stuff with a bunch of songwriters and whatnot. Best in Nashville, pretty much, in my opinion. Yeah, and, right on. Uh, yeah, so we've been staying busy doing that, still playing clubs and stuff, uh, uh, just doing whatever we can, wherever we can. That's what, that's, yeah. you know, that's what I do. That's what my friends do, you know. That's that's the only way to be. That's the true way to do it, the, to be a yeah, troubadour. Man. you gotta got to have the troubadour lifestyle. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, uh, one more thing, uh, let's, let's tell people how to get a hold of you and, and learn more about you as far as your socials and everything, your social medias and all that good stuff. Yeah, yes, sir. Um, yeah, the best way to get a hold of me, uh, you know, is CamPierceMusic.com, C-A-M, Pierce music.com um mm -hmm. and from that you can get to the instagram uh uh the instagram's cam pierce music yep right. you know that and then uh same same goes for my facebook uh you can find that's on facebook too but uh you know really i just run most of the stuff off my personal page i'm not much of a social networker but uh i you know i, I try and i do update you know shows on the website and all that stuff and there's a an electronic press kit page there, all downloadable and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, I think the website's pretty much the best hub still that you can, you know, get to everything with.
That wraps up this week's edition of the Josh Belcher Uncharted Podcast. Now, I'm not usually one to get in anybody's business, but if you still have your grandparents, give them a hug, tell them you love them, because you truly never know when you're no longer going to have them. They're precious to you. Cherish them. They're good folks. They teach us a lot. They're our parents' parents, and we're lucky to have had them what short time we have them on Earth. Special thanks to John McCune, the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, and Cam Pierce of Camp Pierce. <laughs> thank you guys very much for being guests on the podcast. And everybody out there, thank you for listening. Couldn't do it without you. There'd be no point in the podcast. Nobody listened to it. So thank you, the listeners, the audience, the fans, even if you're a fan. Uh, I'd like to appreciate you from the bottom of my heart. And I want you to remember, I love you for you and where you're at in life. Take care. Have an awesome week. We will see you next time. All right. Goodbye, everybody.